over. But we're just getting started talking about the series finale. The Book of Nora has been closed. We're going to open it up, and we're going to read it. And we may laugh, we may cry. Who the heck knows? All I know is I am currently joined by the great Antonio in the sky, Antonio Mazzaro. How the hell are you? I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here now. We live here now. I'm here. We, listen, I can't wait to talk to you all about Kevinism, Josh. Oh, my God. Isn't it great to be wrong? <laughs> it's so fantastic. It's so fantastic to be wrong. It's so fantastic to be wrong as well about the, the darker parts of our feelings that didn't materialize. It's just uh, I, I'm in a glass case of emotion over here, Josh. <laughs> I see you. I see you in there. Yes, I'm here now. I'm oh, here. my God. All right. Well, here we Apparently are. Also uh, in the sky. Who knew? Yes, indeed. So here we are. I'm Josh Wiggler. That's Antonio Mazzaro. We have been uh, talking about every single episode of The Leftovers all the way through from the start of its run. And we have just finished watching the series finale of this show that Antonio and I have both grown to really, really love. And yeah, feeling a lot of stuff. Um, Happy-ish ending confirmed, and I think closer to happy ending. Uh, Certainly bittersweet in moments, but I think an emphasis on the sweet in the final notes here. Uh, An incredible shout-out to Antonio Mazzaro towards the top of the episode here. You know, I get Zeke Smith, you get Damon Lindelof, Antonio. Yeah, I wish that that's amazing. I it's the uh, it's the blessing of having a, a nice name. Thank you to my parents for giving me a name that that is Matt Libable, Josh. That is perfect uh, yep. for Matt Libs. Yes, we got Matt Libs. We got a, a really great ending for Reverend Matt. I thought we got uh, you know a lot of clarity on what's going on back home, even though we didn't get to see a lot of those characters. Lori Garvey is alive. Yeah, newsflash uh, headline news. News flash, so that's exciting. I'm so happy about that. I can't even tell you. Uh, what else? I mean, we, did we we know where the departed went? If you believe Nora Durst, you know, if you believe Nora, and I see no reason why not to believe her, although they do not show you any of what happened there. So uh, you know, take that for what it's worth. But I I err on the side of believing that we now know what happened to the departed, and I thought that that was remarkably poignant. Um, Kevin Scenes is uh, is you know still up and about you know he's ninety one and apparently just still blasting off into the sky. Uh, Tommy and Jill are doing all right. Yeah, scrub the ish out of it. I thought that this was a happy ending to the leftovers, Antonio. Let me ask you a question because I agree with everything that you just said, and I don't want to take this recap or our our reactions here in the wrong direction, lest we Lindelof after the Lindelofing is through. But let's get away from that too. You know, this guy just delivered a masterclass. Uh, series he did. Finale, he did. You know, he did. He did. Credit, credit where it's due. Right off the jump, I want to take that you know that lost monkey off of his back for all of time now because he brought the left. Leftovers in for a freaking fantastic landing. So before we get into where I feel like I know where you're going, let's get that out of the way. Well, and let's get it out of the way because I, where I go, where I end up, where I stumble through the world here and uh, whatever villages that are overgrown that I end up in, I don't think it matters because, listen, I think there are going to be people out here who read this finale as not completely on the level in, in the way that is it possible that what you just said that you hinted at that we didn't actually see what was said we have Nora's version of what was said is it possible Josh that this is actually an afterlife for Kevin Garvey 
and that he died and this is where he goes and when he goes in his afterlife this is what he wanted this is what he was searching for this is what he found so in other words a lot of what was said is on the level but this is not 100 percent on the level complete uh through line from where we were when we left nora durst uh, and when we left the whole series is it possible that there's something more in play here Sure. Again, ambiguity is the friend of the leftovers. You know, there is uh, there's room for interpretation in almost everything. I am going to decide to interpret it not that way. I think that they are here now. I think that this is the reality. I think that this is the real world. I think that Kevin has found Nora. I think everything that Nora said, I choose to believe happened. Uh, you, your your mileage may vary, uh, but I'm I'm gonna be on the side of whatever happened happened. I'm gonna I'm gonna be on the side of this is the story. This was this was real that that Nora did cross through and she came back, and I think that that's gonna be my stance because I think that the that the leftovers, if it hadn't already been clear what the leftovers was about, I think in its final moments. It really, really um, put a pin in exactly what this show has been about. And it's in that in that final line. I'm here now. Uh, I'm here Uh, that, you know, Kevin says, why wouldn't I believe you? You're here now. And she says, I'm here. And I think that that's what this has always been like. You're here. Deal with it. This is this is the life you get. This is the life you live act accordingly you know frank costello style as we (laughs) as we said a few weeks back uh i think that that's the mission statement of the show and it's however you get to that place it's however you get to that realization or that comfort level or at least that understanding and appreciation of this is the world this is where you live and you you get to do what you will with your life and finally i mean it takes so long. I mean, she says to Kevin, Nora says when they're having tea at the end of the episode, like, of course, I wanted to be with you. Of course, I wanted to call you. But so much time had passed. And it turns out that that doesn't matter. You know, Kevin still loves this woman and she still has love for Kevin, I think, pretty clearly. And it doesn't matter when you come to the realization that you're here. You know, that could be, you know, seven decades into your life and you finally get there. But she gets there. And I think that that has been the the point of The Leftovers is in the face of inexplicable loss and grief uh, and a complete, you know, railroading of your entire existence, you still are here and you can make what you will of the world that, that is left for you. And I think that that is the, the mission statement of The Leftovers. And I think that to me was very resonant and really powerful and made very clear by this ending. So no, I don't think that this is some sort of otherworldly existence. I think that you're led to believe it is. I think that there are multiple points in this episode where they're really trying to make you feel uncomfortable that we are going into flash sideways territory. Yes. And I was, you know, at, at certain points I was kind of on board with it where I was like, Oh, this is, this is a kind of, uh, you know, really Lindelof closing the book on those feelings that he's had, uh, from, you know, coming out of lost. But I, I think, you know, Kevin saying, I met you at the Christmas dance and like really just like hanging on to the same line over and over again, of I'm on vacation in Australia and I saw you on your bike and that's it. It does sound like somebody who's like lost in a world where he doesn't fully understand where he is. But then in like the final movement of the episode when he shows up to her house and like really gives her the Kevin Garvey business uh, (laughs) without a thud, uh, (laughs) you know, 
when he when he is saying everything that he is saying there, and he's really just you no, know, like really revealing, like yeah, of course I I remember all of that, but I thought we could do a, a blank slate. Like that that to me is like a guy who actually has lived through those experiences too. So uh, all of which is to say, I think that this is real. I think it ends in in reality. That's going to be my interpretation. I'll be curious to read or hear interpretations from people who see it a different way. Starting with you, Antonio, how do you feel about this? Was this real is this actually our world that this show ends in i generally feel the same way i'm looking forward to tugging the threads uh, both with rob sesternino later this week and uh, with you uh, when you return and are able to do a deep 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 dive on everything that we feel with a little bit of time uh, yeah in, in the wake of this uh, we're recording this right as- after yeah, just to set that up, we're going to have two more shows this week. The feedback show that we always do, I will not be on it for this one. Rob Sesternino will be taking my place, and he will be on the line with Antonio. And then at some point in the not-too-distant future, but a little bit further down the line, probably a week or maybe two weeks from now, we're going to get together, Antonio and I, to resolve any lingering feedback, and we're going to talk about the episode in greater detail, and we're going to close the book on The Leftovers for good. One final podcast coming within the next two weeks. Close the book on The Book of Nora. Close the book on The Leftovers. We're doing that. And when we do that, I'm sure we'll be able to tug at some of the the threads in this episode more in terms of this stuff. Like, for example, something that I would plant a flag on is the fact that the guy who invents the machine to go over, he invents a one-way machine. He gets over there. He knows how to invent a machine to come back. He never invents it, and that doesn't become a worldwide sensation. People aren't willing to all go back, or that isn't a thing that is like a massive deal now that you've opened a portal between these places where the departed can come and go and all of that. Well, it might not be a massive deal because there's like nobody over there. It's an empty world. It's 2% of the world's population. I mean, so that's ultimately who is there. We know that that amounts to millions and millions of people. Uh, and unless that's spread throughout the world and we're even hearing that like it's hard to get from Australia to fair. America there just aren't flights and stuff that's so fair. who knows what, like news travel is like at yeah that point. I understand what you're saying and I know you're just playing devil's advocate but that's Indeed. something that I would that I would that I would definitely look at that I would think about that is uh, fascinating to me that there is essentially now a portal open between these two worlds and wherever the people went even though her family was in Mapleton in a terrible burned up village where no one lives anymore and everything's overgrown, but the streetlights still come on. Her family is happily living there. That doesn't make the most sense. So a lot of it doesn't necessarily track for me as per se accurate. And you know what? That maybe doesn't matter. It could be that she really did get second thoughts and she didn't want people to know that she got second thoughts or any of that. And she's holding on to that. We don't really know. Ultimately, this is what she says. She says, do you believe me? He says, you're here now. In other words, it doesn't really matter. Like I, all I care about is like you being here right now. I don't need to get into the, the where and the what of all of that. Really? Now, once you said it, it's good. We don't really need to talk about it. You're here now. And so I like that. I don't mind that we don't know. I don't mind that it's not abundantly clear. I don't really care one way or the other because I think that the heavy lifting that this episode does and the finale does is it brings an emotional conclusion to the whole story without putting the mystery or the actual the the myth- mythology of the show at the center of it. In many ways, the mythology of the show did get nuked when uh, Kevin blew it up with the international assassin world like we're not into kevinism we're not into his immortality he's actually very mortal he has a heart problem he has a pacemaker like wow, his crazy imagination really called that huh it did right <laughs> like how about that like that's the other thing where you start to wonder that's the other thing where you start to wonder like did he know subconsciously that there was something wrong with his own heart or is there something more metaphoric going on here and the other real metaphor in play of course 
is all of the spirituality, all of the throwing the messages up into the air, hoping that they go across the world or who knows where when they really only go within 50 miles. Uh, all of the metaphor of the scapegoat, the actual scapegoat that is created, the discussions of scapegoats. They, they put metaphorical sin beads around his neck. It's the sin beads that take her down. We have a lot to talk about, Josh, regardless. Sinbead was a, a genie, right? Sinbead was never a genie. This is, the, oh my gosh, we're in the Mandela universe. This is what's happening. Uh, it's the Mandela leftovers. Uh, so ultimately. I did like when, uh, when Nora took the, the sin beads off of the goat and put them around her own neck and officially became the GOAT. <laughs> Good call. Yes, uh, she officially became the GOAT. Not that as she if wasn't that wasn't before. already clear. Yeah. As if that wasn't abundantly clear already, how great Carrie Coon and Nora Durst are. But yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of metaphoric stuff going on here. We we are heavily uh, relying on the Department of Metaphor in the finale, which is fine. But I think that once you put all that metaphor in there and once you put the stuff like Kevin actually having a heart problem when in the international assassin world he created it or maybe it manifested as a result of that. We don't really know, but there is a lot to theorize, speculate on. When I say Lindelofing, I don't mean it in a negative way. I mean there's enough ambiguity here that I think you can uh, you can read into it exactly what you want. And I think the doors are open either way. And I'm with you in reading this on the level, at least in terms of when Nora and Kevin are sitting there together at the end. They're alive uh, in this world, and it is the world that we were in previously. But we brought Lori back to life. We have all of these things going on. There's enough here, I think, that we can really speculate a lot about it. Yeah. All right. So where should we where do you want to start? I mean, I guess I had no feeling whatsoever that this episode would even really touch on what happened to the departed, you know, to to, to even offer up a possible concrete answer, not for why they disappeared or how they disappeared, but where did they go and where are they now? And is there a world in which the departed are still alive? And at least according to Nora, the answer is, yeah. And it seems like it's some sort of shadow universe of ours. It seems like they are on some parallel Earth where there's just vast stretches of emptiness. Yes, yeah, so only if William Bell is in charge. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but oh, there, yeah, God. there is a connection, right? There is some kind of interdimensional thing going on. That at least if we're if we're buying into the Nora Durst explanation, we are buying Noraism. You know, are we, we are in on Noraism? We're in on Noraism. The only person who could really transverse, as far as we know, the only person who is transverse between these two dimensions, then there is some interdimensionality going on here. Shadow planet, whatever it is that there's something like that happening even in front of our eyes. Like that's what happened is there was a split at some point for some reason. And when it split, some people were ripped in and some people were ripped off. Some people were left uh, alive. And the downside to that, of course, and we have, we've talked a little bit about this throughout the history of this podcast, but the downside is that the 2%, they lost the 98%. They lost right, everybody. <laughs> so powerful. And I mean, maybe we've discussed that before, but it's never been something that's like super front of mind for right, me, right, uh, that yeah. this was something that I was really, really meditating on of like, can you imagine, you know, what it must be like for everybody else? And what an incredible message of like, uh, talk about like first world problems and like really contextualizing the sorrow and the pain of the 98% that we've been following on this show and really never even giving a moment's thought to the 2% that left and how traumatic 
that would be for them and just how destitute those lives might be an entire town getting overgrown we're setting uh, up we're setting up the sequel josh everything's post-apocalyptic nowadays like we're setting up the the opportunity for what would the name of that show be if it's not the leftovers uh, it's the leftovers two percent the leftovers two percent two percent leftovers yeah <laughs> like leftovers two yeah they skim, they skim the fat off and it's like leftovers two yeah. percent i like it there's a yeah. comma in there yeah. yeah, they're setting that up. We've, we we have the opportunity to visit a whole other universe within the Leftovers world. It's a wildly popular show that is obviously the ratings are so huge. They're going to fear The Walking Dead, this bad boy, right? Like we're going to get this greenlit pretty soon here. Are, did somehow you and I slip into the shadow universe where The Leftovers was a hugely successful show and it's going to be on the air for the next seven years? The Leftovers 2% is going to have 98% more ratings. You don't understand. <laughs> like this is what's going to happen. So it's just a matter of time. Yeah. What do you think of the fact, though, that uh, A, they went here, but B, they didn't go here visually? Um, You know, we've seen this a couple of times this season of people, you know, giving long monologues uh, about what they've been through, um, but not actually seeing what they've been through, like the the Kevin Sr. monologues. And now we've got this great one with Nora Durst, where she is talking about her experience, but we're not seeing any of that. Does that make you question it a little bit more do you like that choice i feel like maybe some of the ambiguity is lost if you see uh nora's adventure rather than hear about it and also you end up with this remarkable carrie coon monologue carrie coon who has already been so tremendous throughout this entire show just shredding it in this finale she's such a brave actress like the she's the The bravest bravest girl girl in the world Yeah, bravest girl on earth. She really is so. She really is so good because she's she's willing, she and able to be be a, a bad person. And we've seen her do that throughout, just throwing rocks through windows and being cold and being calculated and all of these things. But this performance, she keeps she keeps it right, just under her skin. Like there's just been this unsettled nature throughout the performance. Though even even though she's being braved, and even though zero F's given, and even though she was the ultimate ride or die seemingly in season two, willing to handcuff her boyfriend to a bed, even though when he was wandering around in the night, w- rather than just run away fleeing, there is the part of Nora Durst that is this very broken person. And I've loved to see that emerge throughout. Like when she says to Erica, when she first meets her, she's just like, hey, she like barely is able to get it out. We saw that a little bit before she goes in the machine. And we're literally seeing her stripped of all clothes and walking into that machine. Terrifying uh, scene for an actress, I'm sure. Terrifying for just her to go into the machine. It really stripped away everything, literally and metaphorically. And she gets in that machine. It's very science fiction josh it's very alien it is almost like a womb that she enters we have the ambiotic fluid like we have all these things and she emerges she emerges and as a different person as sarah durst who is spending most of this episode being very skeptical very scared very afraid very just determined to try to figure out what exactly is happening and I just the performance by Carrie Coon is so fantastic in terms of conveying that. As you said earlier, you thought there was a moment where you were like, this might be a flash sideways. Her performance in this in this world, in this future world, really brings a lot of that to the table. You feel like maybe she knows what's going on, but it's having familiarized myself, obviously, with the lost flash sideways universe. 
I kept thinking, like, there's another shoe going to drop for her, and there's going to be a moment of clarity where she realizes what's happening. She's going to remember something. I remember. When she touches Kevin, maybe that's going to happen. And Michael I thought the, Giacchino music is going to just, like, flash into the leftovers. Yes, flashes before our eyes. Like, I thought ultimately this would happen, and, and we would get that kind of moment. And I thought, wow, that'll be a little on the nose, but people will say, okay, they did it better this time. It's fun. It's self-referential, whatever. They did, we didn't have that, but her performance really added to that throughout because i'm thinking of like the moment for example she sees kevin she's she she's very rattled she's going home to take a bath before she goes out to the wedding and she's running around her house like locking all the windows and latching them up and i thought in that in just even in the way she's physically performing that i'm thinking she knows that she, that he's some kind of malevolent force that he's not really kevin that he's some kind of like I'm thinking of a serious man, like a Dybbuk, like he's some some kind of bad spirit that she can't let into the house and she wants him out and all of this. So I'm having all these thoughts because of her performance and because of everything she's doing in makeup and being old and all. Of, she's just so good. Like it it really without her, she carries this finale, which is uh, largely without dialogue a lot of the time. And she carries it just so fant- she carry coons it so fantastically. It's it's really wonderful. So what do you think, though, about this decision to not show her journey and to not show what she says when she says, I went through the machine and I crossed over? And she tells the whole story, really the book of Nora, of what happens over there and her journey to come back. Uh, Do you think it was a wise choice on the show's part? Do you think it was just a practical thing? Because clearly that would take a lot of uh, a lot of budget potentially to to show some of that stuff do you think it was a a purely story driven reason to withhold all of that visual information from us what are your thoughts on that i think it's great in that it serves all those masters Uh, and the necessity is the mother of invention so right they probably couldn't or or didn't want to go into this where they were going to go ahead and film all of that but i also like that by not seeing it we are left to believe her and we are left to believe her version of it And this is a person where she has kept things pretty close to the vest, the bulletproof vest, throughout the series. Lots of great season one references in this episode. Lots of great season one references in this episode. Lots of great season one references in this episode. And the season one Nora Durst that we know is a Nora Durst that does keep secrets. Uh, She does all these things that are happening behind closed doors. She keeps a gun in her purse. Uh, She does all of these things without people knowing. And she isn't always willing to immediately talk about them, even when she's having these moments where she's like i used to do this or i had that she's also not being completely honest and so i like that this is a moment of quote-unquote honesty that we can read if you want to read it as honest or you can read it a different way if the leftovers is a spiritual text on some level and there is that element of that especially heavily in season three reading into it is part and parcel to the experience you project onto it how you feel or what you want it to say or what you think and so i think there are going to be people that say because we didn't see it it didn't happen and she's not being completely honest and she got out of the machine or there are going to be people that are saying because we didn't see it it didn't happen she's not being completely honest she died in the machine and went nowhere this is the afterlife she's living i don't know why she needs therapy in the afterlife right. but that's another matter altogether like there are going to be people who read it that way and i'm not here to deny those people i'm really not i'm just here to say my read on it is i like that we didn't see that so the door is open for that so that you can potentially read it a different way if you choose to, and so that you can read it more mythologically. You can read it as a lie. You can read it as it didn't happen if you want it to read if you want to read it that way. I personally take the ending with the doves landing, the birds coming back, and all of that to mean that it doesn't matter, that they 
they found love anyway, regardless of what they had come into the position, regardless of everything that had happened before that. They ended up in a position where they were here. They found each other, and yeah. you know it didn't really matter. He wasn't going to get into the. He wasn't fighting her with the science of it or the details. When she tells that whole story, you wouldn't believe me. He just says, "You're here now." It doesn't like it. It doesn't really matter. Like you're here yeah. now. That's what I want to believe in. And so yeah. I love that. I love that the ending is okay, setting its feet there and being confident about it. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a great moment with the that final image of the doves coming back, and it's kind of like love comes back. Like if you if you allow yourself to live long enough, and if you can if you can overcome such a challenging circumstance, you can let love back into your life. Uh, to quote uh, the great chaos theorist and mathematician Dr. Ian Malcolm, life finds a way. Uh, and I and I think that there's there's a good amount of that here in this ending as well. I really think to frame this final episode of the leftovers through Nora, the most cynical, skeptical character on the show, and to get her to that place that she's in at the very, very end, it's such a brilliant choice. You know, not only, like, I think one of the great discoveries, we talk about, like, how did the leftovers find itself? Um, You know, I think that there was, you know, we we talk about levity uh, being a thing that once it discovered that it can be a show about the heavy subject matter that it's covering, but also take a light touch to some of it and bring in some moments of whimsy and some weird, goofy ideas and provide some true laughs. That's really when The Leftovers, you know, discovered the the best of its tone. Uh, And I still hold to that. But I think it's not a coincidence, Antonio, that you and I, whenever anyone asks us, uh, should I get into the leftovers? Is this worth doing? I hear it sucks at the start. We're like, yeah, it's, you know, it takes a while to warm up. But if you get to episode six of season one and you are not in, then it's probably not going to be for you. The show starts to really find itself in episode six. And episode six of season one is the guest. And that is all Nora Durst all the time. Carrie Coon just kicking ass. Uh, And I think that that's probably the other thing that we've maybe never quite articulated is if there's like a, you know, we have to find the third head for it to be a three headed monster that lives in a volcano. But two of the heads, at least in terms of how the leftovers became just this incredible beast, this incredible monster of a show for the people who found it. One, I would say, was levity. Like, it really discovered its tone through levity. And two, we'll find out what the third one is through conversation, I think. But two really is Carrie Coon, who right around that episode in, in, in season one, episode six, they really discovered this is an incredible performance. This is somebody who has basically got to be a co-lead of this show. And to let her be the anchor to take us home here on the end of The Leftovers such a smart decision and really playing to its strengths. Really playing to its strengths. Really, really, really playing to its strengths. Not that Justin Thoreau, Justin Thoreau himself isn't a strength. I think people's mileage may vary a little bit. Mine certainly doesn't. I think he's really, really good. I'm, oh, he's spectacular. Yeah, I continue to be just blown away by Justin Thoreau's level of talent in many respects. I mean, the guy writes Tropic Thunder and then delivers this performance on The Leftovers. It, 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 he must be really bad at something. I don't know well, what he's it is. A, you know, he's a screenwriter in his own right. You know, he That's is, what I'm he saying. Is, yeah. Yeah. You know, so he's a he's a storyteller in in his own way and he's a great actor. And I think that this was, you know, such rich material that you're you're you can't help but just like sink your teeth into it when you have those two sensibilities. Well, and they bring multifaceted and multi talented performers to bear throughout the course of this series. Uh Amy Brenneman uh, herself has has run a show. Judging Amy was her show. Like that was one of the things that she helped create the thing and she's really in charge of that, so she can think of uh, T V 
from that perspective as she's just performing as an actress. Uh, of course, we talk about what's happening with Kevin. Uh, Carrie Coon herself, I believe, is a, a very heavily stage-based actress. She has a lot of uh, a lot of cred in that realm, so she's really talented there. Uh, Blanking she, on her husband's name. I was going to say, he is- she's married to somebody who is also really spectacularly talented in terms of that and in that realm uh, in storytelling, so... Uh, he's a he's like a comedic improviser improviser that he, he's done. there's just a lot of talent that is in the sphere of the leftovers that is multifaceted and multidimensional and they've certainly gotten their mileage out of it but you're right it is fantastic to put this on the shoulders of Carrie Coon the other thing that happens in season one episode six for me is they go to the world beyond Mapleton. They really get into like New York City and what's happening in the cottage industries that have sprouted up around the departure. And that does add the opportunity for levity, but it also really expands the story in a way that it's fascinating because they contract that in this season and certainly with this finale. And it is, again, about the characters and it centers themselves in this world. So we could talk about how if you created a machine that worked and you had people come back, why couldn't you? Like, the other thing is, it, listen, the, the crazy machine, the suicide machine that Nora got in, if her story's true, it can send you to the other the other side and you don't die. So even if it's only a one-way trip, like, there, you would think that there's enough people in a world where you can travel where that would take on a lot more uh, significance. But maybe she's the only person who came back and because... Her experience was bad. She's not going to put that forward. I don't know. But it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. That's what I'm getting at. Like all of the all of the pomp and circumstance and sound and fury of all of these things about the mythology of the show, they don't ultimately matter because of the show's the show did a fantastic job in a way that I think Lost certainly attempted to do in terms of making it about the people and their stories. I think the leftovers, because there were less episodes, because they centered the story on these characters a lot sooner along the line, because they made it clear as their mission statement at the start of season two. And as we heard at the start of this episode, Josh, let the mystery be such a welcome sight uh, to to hear that again. That was amazing. It was great. It was great. And I love that they're going out on that note. You know what? Maybe that is what happened with her. Maybe it is that. There is a uh, I I've talked about this on another podcast recently, but there's a movie that's an independent film called Smoke that uh, I believe was Paul Oster and Wayne Wang with Harvey Keitel giving this telling this great story at the end of the film. And the idea that he tell he tells the story and you don't really know if the story was true or not. He tells it in a way and he reacts in a way after the story's told that it's not really clear. And then in the credits of the movie after you see a version of that story playing out in black and white and Tom Waits is playing. It's really, really good. And I, I love this conversation with the two of them at the end because it's similarly played to me. Like it doesn't matter whether it was true or not. And I don't think that it matters what the mythology of this show, whether or not the International Assassin Hotel was real or not. Josh, we talked a lot on our feedback show after last week's episode about all the nature of the about about all the nature of the world and all these these different things that were in play with Kevin there. And it just doesn't really matter. It's not about Kevinism. It's not about the mystery. It's about these characters who experienced this horrible loss, this departure event and how long it took them, and what lengths they had to go to to get past it. And I think that that really is what the show's been about all along, and I think this is a uh, perfect coda to that. Like, it's a really, really good ending. It almost reads like like an epilogue, uh, like this is the end of, you know, Kevin's story ended. He was able to put put, put it at peace, and now here we are several years later, and this is what's happening. I think it's fantastic. 
Well, that's why I was saying on the feedback show, like if they really spend a lot of time on Kevin's angst, I'm going to be frustrated because I really did feel like the most important man in the world, the penultimate episode. I really thought that that settled a lot. Yes. Uh, glad to see that that held. I mean, of course, he, there, there's some angst there, but like really understandable angst. That's just like kind of like a final character uh, note for him. And the emphasis remains very much on Nora. And through Kevin, we can get the check ins on what are John and Michael up to? You know, what happened at Matt's funeral, which sounded like a lovely affair. And it was really nice to hear that Mary still loved him in the end and everything like that uh, to, to find out that that Lori was still alive and everything there. But I felt like if we really spent a lot of time on like Kevin relapsing into just being an asshole, you know, and just like really going back to that world, that would be a waste of time. So I was thrilled that we didn't get there, but also I didn't really, I, I didn't have a lot of interest coming into this episode, thinking too much about the leftovers from a mythological standpoint anymore, because I really did feel that in nuking this universe and nuking the, the international assassin world that like you said, like it really kind of did nuke the mythology. And I felt like the only thing I needed at that point was some sort of resolution to Kevin and Nora, or at least a resolution to Nora. And by virtue of that to Kevin. So on, on those levels, this finale, it was a grand slam for me. I mean, this finale was, I really, I can't say enough how happy I am with the way that this show ended a beautiful, beautiful ending, uh, to the show. I'm trying to think of where's the next place that we want to go. I mean, well, I'm, Lord, I'm go ahead. I was just going to know if you've got something to say on that point. I'm just curious how it'll play on a second viewing, uh, because I think a lot of the power for me in the finale was this great sense of dread that we were going to be in a universe where Nora did die in that machine. And when she emerged from the machine, she was left with this position where she couldn't actually reconnect, that Kevin was essentially a wayward soul that was stumbling around the afterlife looking for her, not knowing what was going on, and that she had some memory of it, but he had no memory of it except for a very little thing. Or that we were in some world where Kevin Garvey had lost his mind, like June's went the way of scenes, and we were in this moment where Junior was just never going to remember, like he had sustained like a massive head injury and forgotten their entire everything but gotten to a point where he at least remembered that he met her once in Mapleton. That never sounded right to me, but it was so wrong that I was really worried throughout about what was going on. So I think a lot of the, the, the power of the finale was in that, in that not knowing. And yeah, after we leave it, the takeaway is fantastic. And I think a grand slam on that level. I do wonder how it will play on a rewatch. And I wonder as well... What will Damon Lindelof do in terms of how coy will he play it in the finale? Is he going to confirm that things went down the way Nora said they went down? Is he going to leave that open-ended? Like, how is he going to do in his press afterwards? Which I'm sure there's probably great stuff posted already. I'm sure he's talked to Alan Seppenwall at length. Right. Uh, and we're going to get like a 15-page uh, article there. But what I would say is I, I just I'm curious as to how that's all going to play in the in the aftermath. We are recording this literally 10 minutes after this is the immediate aftermath. So how we're feeling in the moment, I, I'm loving it, but I can't wait to rewatch it because I am curious how all of the mystery in the episode and the dread throughout is going to play a second time, knowing what we know now, uh, you know, after the takeaway. There was a lot of mystery in this final episode that was resolved in the context of this episode. And so I just don't know how the mystery will play the second time around. What do you think of Lori Garvey being alive still? I'm okay makes with me that. happy. Makes yeah. me happy. Yeah, I'm okay with that. It doesn't feel like a total cop out because it wasn't a clear, confirmed death. 
Uh, she handled it in a way that made it seem with you like it's a goodbye to the character. It is all this. I like the reference uh, that she makes when she talks to Nora. She says, like, same time next week. Like, you know, I'm not really giving you good service here, but we are in this relationship where you bought me for a pack of cigarettes or whatever. So same time next week. Uh, I, I like that. I really do. What do you make of the pro- did the prophecy of Colin Stone, Josh? Did the prophecy of Colin Stone come true? Nora says, don't waste your breath to the nun at the church, espousing the views directly of the guilty remnant. How do you track Nora's growth throughout the course of this season? Because we don't see the main moments on screen. How do you track it off screen? Throughout, she seemed to be guilty remnant-esque, adopting these robes. She leaves the robes behind as she gets into the machine. But she still seems to have some of this mentality when she's dealing with spirituality and religion here. She makes the nuns swear to god she's pushing this issue so this is not a nora who has put some of put everything behind her no that's what i'm saying is that i think it takes all of this time in her life to finally get to the place that it seems kevin reached decades earlier you know it takes her a long time to finally be okay it takes her a long time to get there it even takes this entire episode really to get there and when kevin's saying i believe you i think that that like to to know the relentlessness with which he pursued her and how much he cared about her and you know in this world where she thought that she had no place that she thought that the only chance that she had at happiness was reuniting with her family and everything she endured to get back to them only to find that she had no place with them either. And so she crosses back over to the world from which she came and still feels empty and still feels nothingness. Like that for her must have really felt like I, you know, I, I need to take a vow of silence from the world and really open up to like a very, very, very small few, including Lori Garvey, uh, like really becoming like the embodiment of what the guilty remnant stood for. So I thought that was genius. And I thought very relatable too. like for her to have gone through everything and like to find out that, you know, even getting to where the departed went to was not enough. Uh, if that's not going to you know drive a cynical person even deeper into the heart of cynicism, I don't know what will. But then to come back and to and to learn how deeply she is loved and cared about and sought after, I think that's that to me is sort of the wake up call. You know, that's the that's the cup of tea that she needed to drink. And uh, I think that that's what ultimately, if not, you know, outright kills that cynicism, then certainly moves her much closer to to the light. And I think that you have every reason to walk away from this episode believing that she's going to be okay from this point forward, which is uh at least that's my my read on it, and I'm I'm happy with that read. I like that read. He believes her. She went and she did her thing with her kids, and she realized she calls herself a ghost in that moment, and she talks about that and how she didn't have a place in that world, and she never really interacted with them. And I think that that really does express the situation. Like you, she, her family had moved on. They grew up, and and her husband was with another woman, and her kids were older, and she was not part of that story or that life, and. She didn't want to push herself into it. And I think it's uh, I think it's great considering what we've seen happen with similar things in the show where that happens. We saw Lori and Jill really not ever on great terms in terms of them coming back together. We never really saw their ultimate and true reconciliation. 
Sure, but we see when we see Lori, she has a small child with her, and we also find out that Jill has a daughter, Penelope. You can assume that that's Penelope, so Lori is still in her life. Yeah, you can assume that, right? And you can assume that all these things. We don't have to see them happen, is what I was getting at. Like we don't have to see this growth occur to know that it happens. We have also seen on the show what happens when you do try to force your way back in, and you don't let it happen organically. With Lori's patient in season two, where she basically pushed the woman back to her house, and it's a very similar scene with. That that woman has than the scene that Nora describes. Lori and that woman pull up. Uh, her family is there at a distance. The woman sees them. Lori is encouraging the woman to go and push herself back into their lives and and just go right back for it. And that lady ends up driving herself into traffic. You cannot force a solution in the world of the leftovers. Even though that's exactly what Kevin did when he ripped into his own heart and did all of that. You can't force a solution. You have to come to it. You have to you have to grow. You can't force yourself to grow. It has to happen organically. And I think what we're seeing from from this story of Nora and Kevin is Nora went through all this, but and she emerged on the other side. She came back and she came back and she's living a life and she's participating with events at the church. She's got birds that she rents out to the church seemingly for her wedding, for their weddings. And then they get released and they come back to Nora and we go through this whole thing again and again and again. But she has she is living her own life, seems to be a really nice house. She's doing good. She's doing all this. But it doesn't have Kevin in it, and she didn't want to reach out to him in part because she thought he wouldn't believe her, and too much time had passed that he had his own life. And now they're able to find each other, not ships passing in the night, but years later, because he has sought her. And that invokes all of the stuff with the book, uh, the untitled romance novel, where he's sailing across all these oceans to find her. And I think the ending of this book, uh, the book of Nora, is going to be different. They, they clasp hands. I don't think Kevin's going to run away now. This is what he's been looking for right. for years and years and years. This story has a different ending than Untitled Romance Novel. Yeah, no. The, the Untitled Romance Novel ends with him going out into the ocean to run away. And yes. this, this this rewritten narrative is to go out into the ocean to, to run back, essentially. Yeah. Uh, that's powerful. It's great. Oh, it's good. I love that. I, I think that's so. I think that's so great. Uh, two weeks every year for your vacation in Australia. You know, uh, there's worse things in the world. I feel like there are worse things in the world. But then you end up in Australia, seeming like a crazy person, like you're, uh-huh. like your old man, like scenes, <laughs> yeah. like you're walking around carrying a picture. Have you seen this woman? Have you seen this woman? Have you seen this woman? And really, it is it is the act of a crazy person because. Every piece of evidence that Kevin has says she's dead. Like literally every piece of evidence. She didn't show up to her own brother's funeral. Her brother was there and said, this is what she did. She, they probably made a whole, I wonder what happened. Like Nora says, you can keep it. What happened to the, the terrifying Nora Durst fossil? <laughs> yeah. I wonder where that is. Like the, uh, it's kind of like the, like the, like the Terminator two thing when like you zap down in like the big, like electromagnet magnetic ball. Yeah, uh, it reminded me of like an empty, like a K cup from a Keurig. Like it was just like the <laughs> yeah. leavings of the, it was the after, it was the leftovers. It was the leftovers yeah. of the, uh, of the machine process. Do we make anything out of the fact that she had problems even still getting into the machine that they, they made her do her, her statement over because of, for some reason, because she didn't believe it or they didn't believe her. Is there anything to that? I mean, she ultimately gets in the machine. I think it was because it's like, 
you know, if if not, they're not clairvoyant, so how can they know? But like they certainly sense in in her character that this is not something that she truly wants to do. And you know, according to Nora, that bears out that she goes across to this other you know plane of existence essentially and walks away empty still. You know, doesn't walk away any more satisfied. So I think it's really kind of more of a gut check on that than anything else. Yeah, I like the uh, just all the parallels there when she gets into that thing when that when when it is a gut check and they do let her ultimately get in instead of like kevin waking up naked and emerging from fluid she is sitting naked and the fluid covers her i think that that's a a reverse international assassin emergence for her she's not under the fluid she interdimensional assassin interdimensional assassin it covers her she's more of an interdimensional uh whatever a bird person is like an ornithologist or like some kind of falconry expert like she's more of that she's she's more of an interdimensional mike tyson mysteries uh so this is this is what's happening with her, but it is there is that parallel. I also like the shout out to the National Geographic with the Cairo, uh, the the Matlibs. Uh, she found herself in Cairo, Egypt, and I love that Matlib. I, I like the concept of Matlibs. I, of course, what a I great like, what yeah. a great final scene for uh, for Christopher Eccleston. Fantastic. For- for the good Reverend Matt, who I think really summarizes uh, the journey for that character, too, and talks about how uh, I'm, I'm afraid that my son's going to grow up and not know who I am. I'm afraid that he's going to forget my voice and my face. I'm afraid of what it'll be like when I go back to Mary. I'm afraid of what it's going to be like when I have to stand in front of a room full of people and talk about stuff and deliver answers that I have no effing clue what I'm talking about. And then Nora invites him along through the machine. And I have to imagine you like I were like, oh, my God. All right. So we're going to do this. So Matt is going to go through the machine. Then he's like, no, I think that that would defeat the purpose. And I, I think that that was so powerful of Matt finally confessing that like a lot of his fears are rooted in will I be remembered? Uh, do I have something to say? And, you know, that has been, you know, a driving force for him for so, so long. And for him to at least admit that those have are his fears and those are the things that he is afraid of. And then finally saying, yeah, but I got to face that. You know, I got to try and figure that out. Like, I'm afraid that I'm going to be, you know, healed. I'm afraid of all of this, but I have to go and I have to give all of that a shot because that's what life is about. It's about confronting your reality. I thought was a really great final note for for Matt as we saw him. And of course, um, you know, who knows about the, the, you know, the pages of history. We're all going to get wiped away in that regard. Uh, but for Matt to, to go through all of that and then to, to be remembered by 400 people at his funeral uh, and to be remembered so fondly by his wife, according to Kevin's estimation and his recollection of the funeral. So beautiful. Really, really, really fantastic ending for the good Reverend Matt. Really, really fantastic ending. Just so good. And yeah, you're right. The, that, that defeats the purpose line I thought was really good. And just that the, the fear, the fear of everything as you're talking about. You articulated all the things that he listed off. But it's just it is this rare moment of of Matt like not being so bullheaded that he's going to go and do everything and not charging past that fear with faith. It's him opening the doors to that and him saying that and being so vulnerable to her in that moment. I mean, he's not defrocking in that regard. Like he's not taking all of his clothes off and showing that kind of bravery and stripping himself away of every uh, creation. But he's doing that in a, in a manner of speaking and certainly stripping away the things that he's built around himself. And I just thought that that was a really great ending for that character. And I think it's no surprise then that what we find out is he was able to go back to Mapleton. His wife 
wife still loved him. 400 people showed up to the funeral. He, this is not a man who was beloved in that town, I should add. Like 400 people showing up to that funeral tells me that Matt changed some things in the time between then and when he died. And he was able to make a positive impact on the world, and especially in Mapleton. So I, I love that ending for the character especially in light of what we hear is knowing that it, it probably resulted in some actual resonant activity from Matt. It, it is an actual moment of growth. It feels really well-earned. It feels organic. It feels like the scene that Matt had with God on the ferry when he talked to David Burton and we had that huge thing really all matters. It really all is part of the Matt Jamison story that I think is really well served by just one scene here, ultimately, or one extended scene, and then the little bit we find out about him having passed away, which, by the way, your number one draft pick comes in, Josh. Yeah, well, let's check in with that. So on our last feedback show, Antonio and I made some predictions for the finale. So let's go through them really quickly and just see how we scored. Uh, number I'm just gonna, one, I already forgot. I forgot what I picked. I forgot I've got it. Picked. I've got oh, it. I've got I'm it. I'm sure written you down. do. I'm sure you do. I do. I wrote so it down. So number one, on, <laughs> number one on the board was the death of Matt, that either we were going to see it or we were going to hear about it. Uh, that felt like that was going to happen. That did indeed happen. Score Point one Wiggler. for Josh. Score one for Wiggler. Uh, Sarah Durst. The whole Sarah Durst thing takes place in our reality is Antonio's first draft pick on the board. I would give you that point, but you're you're contending that you think that it's ambiguous enough that maybe you wouldn't give yourself the point. Uh, I mean, I'll take the point. Certainly. Certainly. And my read on it is that I get the point, but I am not going to I'm not here to deny people the right to have another read. I am curious uh, from a feedback standpoint, if anybody has a much different read on this or, or what a rewatch will reveal about any inconsistencies in this world or anywhere we can tug at the threads. But my read on that is, yeah, we're, we're in that. We're in this realm. We're here now. Sec- second thing that Antonio predicted was that there was going to be no clarity on Lori Garvey. Uh, false. 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 Yeah. Buzzer. I have to undo my first point if my second point is to be earned. And so I'm only going to be able to get one of those points. And I think we get some clarity on Lori Garvey alive and well. Yeah. Alive and well. And honestly, my feeling on that, honestly, my feeling is that, look, if we were going to get clarity on Lori, I would have expected that the clarity would be that she was no longer with us. Right. So, you know, maybe this is just the emotional reaction after like a really difficult couple of weeks of like wrestling with that episode uh, to find that she's still alive at the end of this thing made me so happy that, you know, I'm not ready to do like a critical read on that quite yet. I'm just emotionally just like knee jerk. So thrilled that, that she's still with us. So uh, thrilled that you didn't get the point there. And in the way that you didn't get the point, I think that that's good. Uh, my second prediction was that Norway, was going to go into the machine but the machine wouldn't work i don't think that i get the point i think that the machine did work at least according to nora if you choose to believe her i choose to believe her and i really did not expect for a minute that this would be the outcome i don't think that i had ever really considered that maybe she really would go over to the other side i mean we had talked a little bit about the possibility that the sarah durst stuff was taking place in the same universe that the departed went to uh but i don't think that we ever really thought that she would go through and then come back uh certainly never really occurred to me yeah it it didn't occur to me either and it occurred to me because i didn't think we would see it and we of course didn't see it and we have a different version of that story and i think it's fine I'm wondering, though, again, that comes down to the ambiguity of did it work, did it not work. We only have to rely on her story. It is interesting. They went through this whole 
scenario of you're going to go through this thing and then you're going to pull this latch to the side and it's going to lock and you're going to hear it click and you're going to turn it to the left and it's going to click and you're going to get in this thing and the water's going to fill up, but it's not water. All these, they went through all the steps of that. We saw it play out, but then we also had that scene where she gets a bath in her house and the door sticks. The door latches shut, just like the door in the machine. She gets into this tub of liquid. She covers her face. She does all these things. She gets out. She cannot get out. And then she has to bust her way through that door. What's going on there? Is that, again, if we're going to read about maybe it didn't happen the way she went down, is this some sort of parallel to her being in the machine? I think we're going to have to, you know, we're to quote John Locke, we're going to have to watch that again. Yeah. You know, like I, I think, you know, at some point we're going to go and we're going to roll the tape back and we're going to do the deep dive into that. So I think that that's a that's a future question. I haven't really given that much thought quite yet. Yeah. And that's again, there's a lot of Department of Metaphor stuff, as I said, on this finale. And there certainly could be a lot of uh, heft in that in terms of she's latching all the windows and doors and won't let herself be. And she literally has to break her way out to get to that wedding. She has to bust through into the other into this into this world that will allow her the opportunity to go examine the stuff with Kevin Moore because uh, it's before that it's before that wedding that she does that so yeah I don't know uh, a lot of that a lot of the did the machine work is is at least up to interpretation but what else what else do we pick here I won't give myself the point there because okay, I choose to prove that yeah. it did work all right so my third one I think that I'm going to get the point it was a two-parter that however the leftovers finale would handle the the concepts of Jill Garvey and dogs Antonio Mazzaro would be happy the fact that there were no dogs to my knowledge in this episode I got to imagine you were happy about that yep yep we went to goats instead which is we fine to, by me goats and birds that's fine. So at least point five. And I think uh, I'm, I'm curious to get your take on Jill. We hear about what's going on with Jill Garvey. We do not see her in the episode, but we do hear that she has been married. She's happily married. She has a child, Penelope. Apparently, Lori is enough in the family uh, and in Jill's life that she is watching after Penelope when we check in with her in the one scene that she's in. Kevin talks about her with lots of fondness. Is that enough for you to feel like after everything that happened in the most important man in the world, uh, the Kevin, uh, the penultimate episode of The Leftovers, uh, does Kevin walk away from that universe with a with a reprioritization on family? Are you comfortable with that? Yes, 100 percent. And another key element of that is what Kevin did in the context of this season was he was this very important guy and in a place where all this craziness was bound to happen and it was about to tip off. He had authorized OT for his whole staff, for every cop in the town, and he was clearly the adult in the room, stopping riots and stopping fights that Tommy was starting and all of this. And then he just up and left all of that to go to Australia for really no clear reason. And he did that in part because Nora was going, but in part because he had this other thing. He didn't really want to leave her go. He couldn't figure out how to deal with that. He wasn't prioritizing his family, his responsibilities, all these things. He was just running away. And the Kevin that we know in this episode is a guy who only comes to Australia during his two weeks vacation every year. He stayed in Mapleton. He's there with his family. He kept the house. In other words, he went back to his life after what happened in the uh, in the smartest man in the world or the po most powerful man in the world. Uh, he went back to that. 
after that. So I think it I think it resets that really well with how Kevin talks about what he does now. He doesn't go running off to Australia and he's not like some mythological character haunting the world trying to find his lost love. He goes two weeks every year. Then he goes back to work and he does what he does and then he, he goes about his business and then he goes two weeks again. So this is not a guy who is prone to doing what he did previously, which is leave everything and all of his responsibilities behind, literally subject himself to death. Uh, he's taking care of himself. No smoking, pacemaker, all of it i think it's a different kevin garvey you get a full point awesome all right and then the final thing that you had predicted was that no, no matter how the leftovers ends there will be a podcast in the future in which i compare the leftovers finale to the lost finale that that would be a full deep dive podcast i'm reluctant to give this to you because i don't want to do it but there literally was a moment in this episode <laughs> where i was like Jesus, Damon Lindelof, you're going to end this thing in a freaking church? (laughs) 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 You know, I really thought that that scene where Sarah Durst or Nora rather uh, goes and is like, you know, where are my birds and all of that, that she was going to walk into the church and the final confrontation between her and Kevin was going to take place there. And I was literally just like standing up out of my chair being like, Lindelof, you jerk. Uh, You're Lindeloffing me so hard. And it didn't really go there, but I, I do think Certainly at some point in the future, I would love to do some sort of Lost Overs podcast that really compares the the notes of Lost that really resonated throughout and reverberated throughout the leftovers, uh, including the finale. I think that there's a lot of ways in which the two line up. So I'm at least inclined to give you a half point as a as a deposit until <laughs> until until the full point is is delivered in the future. I'll take it. I'll take it. I think that it's I think it's there. I think it's possible. Again, there's so much in this finale. When you talk about her going to the church, she's going to the church for answers to something that the person at the church has no real answers for. Uh, and that, of course, when we talk about the Department of Metaphor, there's a lot of metaphor in that. There's science in whatever's happening with those birds. She followed the rules and it didn't work. And she goes to the church banging on the door and of course the church is a little bit of a convent and maybe that nun isn't being the most spiritually relevant person there's a a guy who rides off on a motorcycle climbing out of her room with a ladder and Nora's like i think you just had sex with that guy and the nun is like you know being kind of coy about it so i like that you go to a church needing answers you don't get those answers that you need i like that the stuff with the scapegoat obviously heavy department of metaphor stuff but yeah there was a lot of lost in this there's a lot of I just swear it felt like a flash sideways universe the whole time when Kevin is there at the wedding. He says like, oh, he's talking about a hotel bar, Josh. Like, I know that that's that that can play on multiple levels. That can play as like a little shout out, a little wink and a nod, a little fan service. It can also play as a trigger if you want to get into the Lindelof thing or it could just play as Kevin talking about a freaking hotel bar. It doesn't have to have more meaning. Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar, Josh. But yeah, this is uh, this is ultimately that, that there is a lot there that invites the comparison. I really felt like there's a lot that invites the comparison. Of, of course, there are people in this audience who haven't seen Lost, but I know there are people who have, and I'm sure they were having the same reactions as we were. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into that on the feedback shows for sure. How did you feel about the great Antonio in the sky? I mean, you can be humble about it, but clearly this was a direct shout out to Antonio Mazzara. Well, obviously, I have something to tell you, Josh, throughout uh, Damon Lindelof. He has a uh, he's on Twitter. Uh, he does not represent himself uh, as such on Twitter. He uses uh, he uses don't an do alias. it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't I'm not going to do anything. The name, the name, the name, I'm not going to say the name. I'm not going to say the name. I'm just saying he's he, you can guess who he might. There's just somebody on Twitter and uh 
and yeah, I've been communicating with with him through on through DM throughout. Yeah, so this is where we are. No, I uh, it's great. I whatever. Antonio is a great name. Thank you to my parents for giving it to me. It was really amazing. Uh, anything <laughs> else in this quick reaction? That Clearly, you it meant to you, more to you than it meant to me. But uh, oh, I was, I it was great it. to hear my name come up. That uh, oh my god. Yeah, I'm not like uh, I'm not like it's just. Uh, it's I love Matt Libs. I want the leftovers to release an official book of Matt Libs. I will buy the hell out of that from the HBO store or if somebody wants to kickstart it or put that on Etsy, I'll buy Matt Libs till the cows come home. Um well let's or the, or the goats come home as it may be. <laughs> let's close birds. this let's close this with some Matt Libs. How about that? You want to do some Matt Libs? You've got these re- at the ready? I can't believe that. Here we go. Uh the leftovers series finale was adjective well, this is not how you do Mad Libs because I know what I'm filling the blank in. You just got to say uh, adjective, proper noun, proper verb, and then you fill them in with the, uh, the things sure, I've sure, pre- sure. You can't know the answers before the questions, Josh. This isn't how life works. Life works, that's, you make these choices, and then it gets filled in. That's how Josh Libs work, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I like Josh Libs better. <laughs> <laughs> Josh Libs, you just know everything. Uh, anyway, fine. How about some Matt Libs in the future? I'm we'll, sure do some, we'll do some. We'll do some. We'll do. We'll write an official. And if anybody wants to send any in, we'll do some official Matt Libs on our on our big deep dive that Josh and I are going to do. Yeah, that sounds. Great. What about um, Canon and D, Josh? Canon and D. Did uh, I, I? I am given to understand that your wife, Miss Emily Fox, may not be a big fan. Oh, she hates it. It's her least favorite song. She's a violinist, and so she used to play in orchestras when she was younger. And uh, they would always, you know, she would always have to play Pachelbel Canon in D, and she just hated it after after a long stretch of time. So, of course, uh, you know, to yada yada through the majority of the story. But when I proposed to Emily, I had Pachelbel Canon in D blaring in the background, and she did not find it funny, and I turned it off swiftly. <laughs> it's a great moment, great moment. But I, as it was airing over the, uh, as it was playing over the credits i was like oh man i really can never get too deep into the leftovers of emily i just don't think this is gonna be your show that being said the eggs that nora durst uh was uh was making earlier very healthy looking eggs it was a very orange yolk that's the sign of a healthy egg yeah that, well that you know because of your wife as well so there you go yeah well, we don't I, need to get into all of that but we we should start signing off here i gotta wrap up at the very least and there's gonna be so much more that we could talk about in the weeks ahead i can't wait to hear what you have to say uh when you get on the line with rob and then you and i will do some cleanup later uh with our with our final podcast but for your quick reaction like what's like your final final takeaway uh as we start to wrap up that life is about the the magic and not about trying to figure out how the trick was done that you know that it doesn't really matter ultimately how the sauce was made you don't even need to see it you don't need to know the science behind why the birds come back that if you uh if you live a certain way the birds will come to you and i think that that is ultimately the the best thing to that i drew from this i love that nora wouldn't take on the sin beads she wouldn't wear them but then she ultimately had to literally remove the guilt from the scapegoat that was trapping the scapegoat in order to free it, bring it home. And ultimately that brought her the resolution. It it got her to a position where she's able to do that. I think that's fascinating. She was able to take on the guilt of others. She was able to take on the sins of others in part because she was willing to and able to acknowledge her own failings and the difference between mistakes and sins and all of that that came up. I love that. That's the takeaway. Again, I don't need to, dive into whether this happened or not. 
I like that it's ambiguous, ambiguous, ambiguous. I like that it's ambiguous enough. I like that it's ambiguous enough that we don't, that it's Greg Buis enough that we don't ultimately know. I think that that's fantastic. And and I just love that we're not going to ever really know everything. We're just going to have to do the best we can and soldier forward and try to grow and be responsible and do the things we do. But I like that there was a, there's just all that takeaway, that there is a lot of uplift in this and there has to be uplift because we all are going to experience things throughout our lives that pull us down. We are going to feel cursed. We are going to feel at the center of our own tower of destruction. And yet that's not exactly how this finale uh, plants its flag. It says you're going to feel that way and you can feel that way and you can choose to be held back by that or you can walk forward. You can search the earth for a better meaning and you can find that better meaning, even if it's at in the middle of nowhere and away from everything else, you're going to find that happiness if you search and strive for it. I love that. Better call meaning. Better call meaning. That's there. <laughs> yeah, I'll sign off on all of that. I'm just so emotionally satisfied with that. Uh, I feel like that was a really, really well-earned finale, a really smart finale, a really funny finale, sad at times, uh, but much more happy than sad. Um, you know, I had been predicting bittersweet or happy-ish. And again, like I really thought that that was just it was a really warm finale. And I think that that's great for to think about where this show started uh, and where it ended ultimately just really makes me um, it really tickles me greatly. I'm, I'm very thrilled. I'm very thrilled with how it all wrapped up. Uh, I, I do think ultimately for me this I'm walking away from the leftovers with a new top five show in my life. Uh, loved this show so much. And it's so nice to see a show that you're really this invested in really stick the landing, especially a show where at the start, like we even openly wondered, like, are we going to keep watching this? this is pretty depressing. <laughs> this is kind of grueling. This is a slog to get through. And, you know, you think about those first four, maybe even five episodes of the series and you compare them to everything that came after. And it just like built this momentum. Um, I still think probably season two is is the is the top of the the mountain for me. But I do think that this final season of the show was also really excellently done. And I think that it lands in a place where you feel a sense of peace uh, for the characters that you've come to love. We got some incredible final performances from these actors, a really incredible, incredible. I can't say enough for how great Carrie Coon was in this episode, just anchoring the finale of this show. So I'm thrilled. And not, not that he was necessarily a man in need of it, but if if you if you want to like you know the the, the fu Damon Lindelof narrative, like I feel like that man is totally redeemed. I think that he he brought this thing thing in for such a such a remarkable landing. I'm certainly really really satisfied with it. Can't wait to see how I feel after having digested it and rewatching it a few days down the line. Um, but for right now, my initial reaction to watching that finale is just incredibly satisfied. Deeply deeply so. I think it's great that the message of the leftovers is stick with the leftovers. (laughs) Like Uh it's going to be rough at times. It's going to be hard. You might think it's not for you. It's going to be unsettling. Your stomach's going to be upset. You're going to watch four episodes and think you hate it, but you have to stick with it and you'll find the meaning in it. And the meaning might be something intensely personal. That isn't something we've touched on in this podcast, this recap. It might be something intensely personal that doesn't have much to do with the very direct ending of this series, but You're going to be able to find it if you search for it. This show, if anything, 
was a canvas that they painted on uh, and they painted these images and it was art in many respects and art is open to interpretation. And I think that they have messages of uh, about this show, but I think the main one is like, you're going to foist whatever you want to onto this. And we're going to encourage you to make the best of that. We're going to encourage you to do that with open eyes and open hearts and to do it in a way that opens your mind. And if you do that, then at the end of it, the doves will come back. Like your birds will come back and these messengers, these 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 messages these messages of love will find their way back to you. I, I think that that's uh, I think that's a really good poignant way to end the thing. I also just think that it's uh, that's just really it's just really fantastic that the leftovers is so meta that it occurs in this world where it's not the artist's only creation, like you said, but it is a fantastic response from Damon Lindelof to everything that was experienced with loss and everything he experienced in the aftermath. And you could read lost like the word loss and read it that way and, and really see how all of that was processed on the show. A really fascinating. It was not a piece of fiction that he wrote. It existed. They grabbed it. They adapted it. He was part of it. And he's made it a story that fundamentally involves him in such a way that you can't help but read it on that level as well. I just this finale serves so many. I can't wait to see how it plays on a rewatch as we've talked about it. A lot of the mystery in this will just be seen as mere metaphor. And then it's a matter of understanding the finale better from a metaphoric sense. Why is she completing the Sisyphean task of climbing uphill but she completes it and she gets the goat home all of these things are are part of what we'll discuss later josh all right so we've got some more podcasts coming your way antonio is going to hop on the line with rob sesternino later this week to discuss your feedback of the finale that is going to be coming up midweek or so you can get your feedback into us in a variety of ways postshowrecaps.com slash feedback is our feedback form on our website we also have an email address Leftovers at postshowrecaps.com. You can tweet your feedback to Antonio at AC Mazzaro. Tag Rob on there as well. He's at Rob Cesarino. If you want to tag me on there, I'll, I'll read it as well. I'm at Round Howard. Then Antonio and I, we're going to get back together for one final podcast, Antonio. You and I only have one more podcast in which we're going to discuss all of the leftovers. Although I'm sure at some point in the future we will, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure at many points in the future the leftovers will permeate our conversation. So uh, not the end, not the end, an end of sorts, uh, but the end of this podcast at the very least. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad that it's a happy ending. Full on. So am I. So am I. Straight up. Yep. Yep. Straight me up. too. Me too. Uh, it's, uh, I was very nervous throughout, but I'm glad with where we ended. I am glad as well. All right, guys. I hope that you guys are as satisfied as Antonio and I are. Uh, curious to hear if you're not. I would love to know why it didn't land for you. But for me, for what we've been tracking all the way through, this it couldn't have ended better as far as I'm concerned. So I'm thrilled. Very, very pumped up. We'll be back with some more podcasts for you guys in the very near future. Thank you, as always, for listening all the way through to these podcasts. means the world to both Antonio and I. Uh, and we'll be back for a little bit more. This is not the end. We will be back soon. Take care. Goodbye.